Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of self-harm, violence, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. At the start of his senior year, 18-year-old David Graham felt like the king of the world. He wasn't just handsome, he was a stand-up guy, got straight A's, and was a track star to boot. To 15-year-old Adrian Jones, he was an absolute dreamboat. Adrian, AJ to her friends, was a catch in her own right. She was kind, brilliant, and gorgeous with pool water eyes and perfect blonde hair. So when she caught David's eye during a track meet in late 1995, his gaze lingered. Sparks flew. That night, AJ ran after David to see if he'd give her a ride home. A kiss in the car led to an intense makeout session, which according to David, led to sex. Afterward, AJ was giddy and talkative. David, by contrast, was silent. Inside, he was reeling. The perfect gentleman had slipped up, but he wasn't the one who would pay for it. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll discuss high school sweethearts Diane Zamora and David Graham. After David confessed to cheating on Diane with a sophomore named AJ, she thought her life had been ruined. She convinced David that the only way to make the pain go away would be to punish the girl who stole his heart. Next week, we'll discuss the aftermath of the crime and the shocking way the couple almost got away with it. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. In 1987, when she was just nine years old, Diane Zamora told her mom and dad she had a big dream. She wanted to be an astronaut. The moment she made her announcement, it was like a switch flip for the little girl. All of a sudden, she was absolutely obsessed with outer space. Everything she did seemed to take her closer to the stratosphere. Young Diane wrote letters to NASA, asking them to send her books and brochures, She also started a journal, specially dedicated to making lists of goals she'd have to accomplish to earn a college scholarship. Such intense drive kept Diane too busy to enjoy the sights in her tiny hometown of Crowley, Texas. In her mind, there wasn't much else to do but prepare for her future. As she got older, she decided her best chance to join NASA would be to attend a U.S. military academy. To beef up her application, she flooded her resume with extracurriculars. Diane was elected to the student council, ran track, and played the flute and band. She got straight A's, joined Key Club, and participated in her school's science association. On top of it all, she was a decorated member of the National Honor Society. Outside of school, Diane also sang in the church choir. Her family was intensely religious, and her grandpa even led a Spanish-speaking congregation. The Zamoras never missed a Sunday. But the church didn't remain a safe haven for long. Around the same time she started high school, Diane's father counseled a young woman in the church looking to leave her abusive husband. Over time, the two grew closer and started an illicit affair that tore the household apart. After her father was fired from his work as an electrician, Mrs. Zamora held down two nursing jobs and sold door-to-door cosmetics just to keep the children fed. Eventually, the Zamoras lost their house and filed for bankruptcy. Forced to step up, Diane cared for her siblings, refereed her parents' fights, took on an after-school job, and still somehow managed her homework. Nothing could stop her. When the family's electricity was shut off, she studied by candlelight. Obligated to grow up in an instant, Diane became parentified, meaning she took on adult responsibilities she wasn't mature enough to handle, and the consequences of parentification can be traumatic. Before I continue with her psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for this show. In her article, Growing Up Too Quickly, Parentified Children, psychotherapist Amy Launder said, Many parentified children grow up with higher levels of anxiety, depression, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. Parentification often sets the child up for failure, shame, depression, and low self-esteem. As a result of her parentification, Diane felt starved for love. While she was forced to take responsibility for the other children in her household, she felt her own needs being neglected. She grew desperate for validation from whoever would give it to her. Since her parents weren't around to offer her the praise she craved, depression hovered around her like a fog. 
She hated the burdens she bore, but couldn't confide her frustrations to anyone else. In high school, Diane cut herself off further by swearing off men. She saw any kind of relationship as a distraction. She also insisted that she'd never give up her virginity before marriage. When her teenage cousins got pregnant, she called them stupid and vowed to never let such a thing happen to her. Her father's infidelity had clearly burdened her with significant trust issues, and her negative feelings grew worse every year. She was constantly stressed with no healthy outlet to express herself. Desperate to feel something other than inadequacy and resentment, Diane started swiping scalpels and hypodermic needles from her mom to cut herself. When she couldn't take the chaos of her home life any longer, Diane took to climbing up on her roof and staring silently out at the black night. She felt wholly alone. She often wondered if she'd ever meet anyone who would understand her. And then she did. In the fall of 1991, Diane attended her first meeting with Civil Air Patrol, an organization that primes students for acceptance to Air Force or Navy academies. There, she met a handsome freshman from the neighboring town of Mansfield named David Graham. Like Diane, David was 14 years old, and in so many ways, his ambitions mirrored hers. In 1984, when he was in the first grade, little David saw fighter jets kiss the clouds in a Brownsville air show. Since then, he had a single goal, to become an Air Force pilot. Like Diane, David refused to let anything get in the way of his dream. In school, he excelled in every way possible. He ran track for Mansfield High and served as his class's ROTC's battalion commander. On the side, he worked as a courtesy clerk at the local Winn-Dixie. But back at home, things were bad. David suffered severe abuse at the hands of his mother. Proper manners were a big deal to his family. So big, in fact, that when David and his brothers broke the rules, they suffered painful consequences. If David ever put his elbows on the dinner table, for instance, his mother would stab him in the arm with her fork. As a child, David had to learn to fight back. When he was seven, he tried to drown his mother's dog as revenge for one of her punishments. Eventually, his mom moved out of the house afraid of the violent tendencies she'd created in her own son. David was left behind with his father, an uncaring man in his 60s with little to no interest in his child's well-being. According to the National Institute of Justice, children who experience abuse are more likely to develop antisocial behaviors and form relationships with other antisocial people. In one study, Abused boys expressed externalizing behaviors like bullying, aggression, or hostility, leading to adult criminal behavior. Given their turbulent home lives and the pressure they put on themselves to succeed, Diane and David were a perfect match for each other. They were instant friends, but Diane remained cautious around boys, so their relationship stayed platonic at first. She told David she needed to focus on school, not boys. She insisted she was a good girl, and she refused to give up her virginity, even to a potential soulmate. But by the fall of their senior year in 1995, David had changed Diane's mind. 
She loved him. So when he proposed, she said yes without hesitation. They'd only been officially dating about a month. To celebrate, Diane accompanied 18-year-old David to a pawn shop and watched as he laid his prized hunting rifles on top of the display case. The man at the counter examined the weapons, winked at David, and took the guns to a back room. When he returned, he placed a small velvet green box on the counter. Diane opened it to reveal a classic solitaire engagement ring. It was a dream come true. On the way home, the couple eagerly planned for their futures. They would each attend military academies out of high school. Then, when they graduated in 2000, they'd marry for real. The wedding would be a small affair, where they'd hold one another under an arch of sabers. The lovebirds swooned as they dreamed of their lives together, where they might travel, when they'd buy a home, and what they'd name their kids. That night, they had sex. Almost immediately, Diane regretted losing her virginity. She loved her fiancé, but all her life she'd promised herself she'd wait until marriage. It was a rare moment of doubt, but Diane decided she could afford to be happy. She pushed the negative thoughts from her mind and rushed home to show her mom the ring. Diane swore the proposal made her even more committed to David, but Mrs. Zamora cautioned her 17-year-old daughter to take things slow. High school wasn't always forever. Diane, of course, didn't listen. She swore David was the only one for her. There could never be anyone else. She'd never let anyone get in the way of their relationship. Mrs. Zamora shook her head in disapproval and claimed her daughter's obsession with David seemed unhealthy. That's when Diane got a strange, steely look in her eye. It was as if she mentally went to another place for a moment. When her mother asked her what she was thinking, Diane said, If I can't be Mrs. David Graham, I'll die Miss Diane Zamora. Coming up, David Strays. Since the beginning of time, people have wanted to believe in an afterlife. Hi listeners, I'm Shelby Scott. In Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast, I take a closer look at the mortal lives of spiritualists who claim to communicate with the dead and the scientists who tried to debunk them. This eight-episode series looks at paranormal events proven to be hoaxes and those which have mystified even the world's greatest skeptics. Mixing history, mystery, and social psychology, Mediums asks how these self-proclaimed psychics pulled off the illusion of interacting with the dead, even under a microscope of criticism. Were they all simply peddling parlor tricks, or was there something truly paranormal going on? Break out your Ouija board, dust off your crystal ball, or light some candles, because Parcast is ready to reveal what's really known about the unknown. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Mediums. Summon new episodes every Wednesday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now, back to the story. In 1995, high school sweethearts Diane Zamora and David Graham thought they had their futures all laid out. After dating for a month, David proposed and the two consummated their relationship. In the weeks that followed, David showered Diane with gifts, praise, and loving attention. Though he'd proposed in secret, they quickly shared the news with their families. For the next few weeks, the couple seemed to walk on sunshine. But despite the supposed commitment, David wasn't all in on his affair with Diane. Doubts just so happened to crop up when a young sophomore named A.J. Jones caught his eye. A.J. was a beautiful, talented, and outgoing member of the cross-country team. David started watching her while she ran. She was captivating, seemingly innocent, and seductive at the same time. Though David genuinely believed he'd found his soulmate, he couldn't help but feel drawn to AJ. He got closer to her on the bus and chatted her up as they stretched. He didn't go any further at first, but AJ could feel David's eyes on her, and she liked it. Back at home, AJ's father was all too conscious of his daughter's newfound interest in boys. He was a no-nonsense kind of man who kept all three of his kids on a short leash. He didn't want any of his children, especially 15-year-old AJ, to fall prey to their adolescent urges. That meant AJ and her siblings had a regular curfew. If she stayed out past nine at night, she had to ask permission in advance. Whenever she came home, her dad asked for proof of her whereabouts. If she went to a movie, he collected the ticket. If she met friends for ice cream, he wanted to see the receipt. He even nailed AJ's bedroom window shut so she couldn't sneak out at night without him hearing. AJ couldn't understand why her dad was so protective. She was on the honor roll, the track team, and held down an after-school job at Golden Fried Chicken. She barely even had time to hang out with friends. But when she did get to have fun, her friends often teased her for flirting with the local boys. Her mother called her bubble butt because she had a sultry way of swinging her hips when she walked. When her mom asked why she spent so much time applying her makeup, AJ replied with a girlish giggle and said she never knew who she might meet. AJ's world collided with David's around November 1st, 1995. That day, the cross-country team loaded into the bus for a four-hour trek to their regional meet in Lubbock, Texas. When the competition was over, David worked up the courage to sit next to AJ on the ride home. She smiled, eager to chat with the handsome senior. The conversation was exciting. With Diane, 
David felt he could only talk about school, the military, or their future. But with AJ, he laughed. He couldn't remember the last time he talked to someone with a sense of humor. He liked feeling silly with AJ and soon forgot he'd proposed to another girl just weeks earlier. Because Diane went to another school across town, nobody knew David had a fiancé. AJ wouldn't have tried to come between another girl and her boyfriend, but David never mentioned Diane at all. Instead, he made AJ feel like the only girl in Texas. AJ was smitten with David too, not just because of his charm and good looks, but because he seemed like the kind of boy her parents would want her to be with. So when they got back to school, she asked him for a ride back to her house. He was happy to oblige. AJ took the lead on the drive, but she didn't direct David home. Instead, she led him down some dark suburban streets to an empty grade school parking lot. They parked and, at least according to David, they had sex. And then, it was over. Weeks passed, but AJ and David didn't contact one another at all. They both just pretended the hookup never happened. AJ even started dating someone new. However, while David kept his infidelity to himself, the betrayal was always on his mind. Diane noticed David acting strangely nearly a month later at Thanksgiving dinner. Despite the festive mood, he seemed uptight, different somehow. It dawned on Diane that the past few times they'd gotten together, he looked a little sad. After the meal, Diane took David to her room and asked him what was wrong. He got still for a moment, then told her he needed to share something important. He could barely look her in the eye. Somehow, Diane already knew what he was about to say. She recognized the look on his face. Her heart sank before he even spoke. David stared at the floor and admitted Diane wasn't the only girl in his life. He'd had sex with someone else. Diane asked if he really had been a virgin before they slept together, to which David insisted that he had. That could only mean one thing, David Graham had cheated on her. Time stopped. When Diane snapped out of her shock, she erupted in fury. She ripped the NASA posters off her wall, threw all her books off their shelves, and overturned her desk, sobbing and shaking with rage. David wished he could take his confession back, but it was too late. He covered his face with his hands, then, there was a bang. David looked up to see Diane ramming her head into the wall. When she decided she hadn't hurt herself enough, she tried again, then flung herself to the floor. She smashed her forehead against the hardwood so hard that David worried she would crack her skull. Diane was absolutely inconsolable. The one person she'd believed in had betrayed her. When she looked at David, she no longer saw her soulmate, only a weak-willed, immature man. He was just like her father, a coward who couldn't keep his promises. David tried to calm Diane down, but nothing worked. She felt her whole life and carefully planned future crashing down around her. There was no way to fix it, 
everything was ruined. She was supposed to be perfect. Cracks and blemishes were unacceptable. The more Diane thought about it, the worse the situation seemed. There was just too much on her plate already. She handled everything in her life all by herself. David was the only person she could ever rely on. She couldn't afford to let him split his attention. Without him, her life was over. Their future was shattered. Nothing would ever be the same. Unless, unless there was no more AJ. Diane finally pulled herself together, looked David in the eyes, and simply said, kill her. When he stared back in disbelief, she banged her head on the floor again, repeating, kill her, kill her, kill her. David didn't know what to do. His fiance was seconds away from doing permanent damage to herself, all because of his actions. He couldn't shirk responsibility. He had to make things right. And maybe it wasn't up to him to decide what was right. Finally, David shouted that he would do it. Diane stopped. Love crept back into her eyes. When she asked if he meant it, David nodded. He promised. Diane caught her breath. It was done. The couple made a reckless pact. Diane didn't know AJ, but she hated her. She wouldn't let David go back on his word. He didn't want to lose Diane, so he promised to do whatever she asked. Later, David wrote about the moment they made their vow, stating, the only thing that could satisfy her womanly vengeance was the life of the one that had, for an instant, taken her place. Just like that, the couple was committed in a CNN article entitled Insights on Why People Snap and Kill, Emory University's Director of Psychiatry and Law, Dr. Peter Ash, said, There's a pathway to violence that starts with some thinking and then fantasizing about a plan. The fantasy of killing others may turn into intention, leading the person to track victims and obtain weapons. The article goes on to discuss how life experiences contribute to snapping, in Diane's case, the combination of her father's past infidelity and her mother's neglect could have contributed to her chaotic state of mind. David was just as frazzled. Those who have experienced or witnessed violence or abuse early in their lives are more likely to commit violent crimes than others. The couple was a perfect, deadly storm. After the vicious pact was formed, David and Diane fell into sync with each other. David didn't want anyone else to come between them. If murder was his penance, so be it. That night, as they held each other in bed, Diane slept in fits and starts. She kept waking from nightmares. In her dreams, she saw David in a car with some other girl on top of him while he made an expression only she was supposed to know. The following day, she was even more resolved. When David awoke that morning, he could tell Diane hadn't changed her mind. Quite the opposite, she doubled down. He still couldn't believe what she was asking him to do, but to him, love and duty were the same. He'd made a promise they would kill AJ. 
Up next, David and Diane follow through. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, back to the story. In November 1995, 18-year-old David Graham cheated on his fiancée, Diane Zamora, with 15-year-old Adrian Jones. When David confessed his infidelity to Diane, she saw only one path to save the relationship. Murder. Diane demanded that David help her kill AJ to prove his love. To quell Diane's anger, David agreed. To Diane, the plot was the ultimate test. She was scared to death of losing David. As a young girl, she'd witnessed her father leave her mom for another woman. She didn't know if she could ever trust David again, but if he truly agreed to do anything for her, then maybe she could forgive him. In an article entitled, Psychologist, Zamora Was Depressed, Dr. Michael Lobb wrote that Diane was, quote, psychopathically deviant and paranoid. The testing indicated someone who has different views than the normal person in society. Angry, resentful, and argumentative would be a fair characterization. While David may have recognized Diane was unstable, he had his own issues to deal with. Psychiatry professor Dr. Jay Crowder has said that someone who is completely dependent on their partner can react violently to the fear of a breakup. He stated, David may have come to equate happiness with being with Diane, and he may have felt desperate to hang on to that relationship. The two were bound to one another, and on Sunday, December 3rd, they set out to make AJ pay for David's mistake. That night, AJ's parents pulled boxes of Christmas decorations from the garage. It was the calm before the big holiday. AJ's siblings had already gone to bed. She was ironing her clothes for school when the phone rang. She rushed to pick up the line for her new boyfriend, Tracy Smith. It was well past 10 p.m. on a school night, but she'd been working so hard lately. Her folks let her stay up and talk for a little while longer. At one point, Mrs. Jones overheard her daughter ask Tracy to hold on during their call because someone was on the other line. When she clicked over, AJ's voice dropped. She whispered into the receiver. It was David Graham. AJ told David she was talking to someone else, so he quickly asked her to meet later. He wanted to pick her up just past midnight. AJ agreed, then clicked back over to finish chatting with Tracy. When her mom asked who had just called in, AJ told her it was David from Cross Country. 
He was having a hard night, she said, but didn't give her mother any other details. She kissed her mom and finished getting ready for bed. Around 11 p.m., AJ's mom noticed her daughter's bedroom light was still on. She opened the door and told AJ to get into bed. AJ complied, but seemed oddly nervous and unsettled. An hour later, David rolled up to her house in a car belonging to Diane's parents. He flicked the headlights twice and waited for her to emerge. AJ quietly slipped out of the house and climbed into the car. David didn't speak, he just drove. When AJ asked where they were going, he didn't say. It was weird, but AJ figured he would open up soon. Eventually, she spotted the sign for Joe Pool Lake. David stopped the car by the edge of the lake. AJ couldn't make out David's mood. He seemed rigid, scared even. She braced herself for something. For a few moments, the teen sat in silence, staring at the headlights reflecting on the dark water. Then, without warning, Diane emerged from the back seat and slammed one of David's dumbbells into the back of AJ's head. AJ screamed bloody murder. She gushed blood. Diane smashed her skull in again, but AJ didn't go down. She thrashed in her seat and fought back. David tried to get a hold of AJ so Diane could deliver the finishing blow. For a moment, the couple met each other's eyes. David saw Diane was terrified, confused, and full of rage. So, he wrapped his arms around AJ's neck to snap at himself, but that didn't work either. Killing wasn't as easy as they thought. AJ thrashed her arms about, kicking to free herself from David's grip. As Diane raised the dumbbell again, AJ managed to climb through the car window. Bloody and beaten, she fell onto the cold dirt. She tried to run away, but by that point she couldn't make it more than a few feet. Finally, she dropped to her knees in the brush. David rushed out of the car, popped the trunk, and retrieved his Makarov 9mm hunting rifle. Gun in hand, he approached the dying girl. AJ's breath was short, and David knew he'd gone too far, but he was too terrified to stop there. Now, both his and Diane's futures hung in the balance. He couldn't afford to let AJ get away and call the police. With wild-eyed determination, he raised his weapon and shot her in the head. AJ stopped moving. David got closer to see if she was still alive. It was so dark he couldn't quite tell. So he fired one more bullet, point blank, right between her eyes to make sure she was dead. When he was done, David fled back to the car. He and Diane held hands and said they loved each other. Then, David threw the car into reverse and gunned the gas. They raced away from the lake. By that point, the killer couple were panicked and had no idea where to go. Diane told David they shouldn't have gone through with it. It wasn't a very helpful thing to say. After some bickering, they made a snap decision to visit David's buddy, Jay. It was early in the morning, around 3 a.m., they woke Jay while covered in blood and asked to come in through his bedroom window. 
Jay let them inside without too many questions. At his house, Diane and David took hot showers, changed into clean outfits, and got themselves centered. Afterward, they headed back outside. They ditched their stained clothing at a dumpster near Diane's house and scrubbed the car clean as best they could. Finally, they went inside and curled up together in Diane's room. Neither Diane nor David slept that morning, but they held each other tight. Diane was still in shock. David was frightened by what he'd done. Their minds spun, wondering why they'd killed a girl they barely knew. A girl who hadn't done anything wrong. When morning came, AJ's parents woke to find their daughter gone. At first, they didn't think anything of it. AJ often got up at the crack of dawn to start the day with a long run. But as the hours crept by and she didn't return home to get ready for school, her parents started to worry. Eventually, AJ's mom noticed her daughter's running shoes were left by the door. She hadn't gone out for a workout after all. Immediately, she called the track coach to check in. The coach told her AJ hadn't come to school. AJ's mom suddenly remembered the whispered phone call from the night before. She asked if the coach knew a David from AJ's cross-country team. The coach said the only David she knew was a senior, David Graham. Mrs. Jones asked if the coach knew why David might have phoned her daughter, but the coach had no idea. She didn't even think AJ and David had ever spoken. To double check, the coach sent a student to David's algebra class to ask if he'd spoken with AJ the previous night. David said he hadn't. He seemed calm, totally normal. And everyone bought it. Over the next few weeks, David and Diane returned to life as usual. They kept their heads down, studied, and hardly said a word to anyone else. When Mansfield High hosted a memorial service for AJ, David attended. Like many other students, he nodded in teary disbelief that someone so young had died so soon. After the memorial, detectives snooped around the school. They questioned everyone who might have been connected to AJ. They even brought David in to ask about his rumored call the night before the murder, but he stuck to his story. He said he didn't know AJ. He had no reason to call her. He didn't have to work too hard to convince them. The police were more interested in AJ's new boyfriend, Tracy, anyway. And they had a lead on another student who might have been involved. So investigators took David at his word and let him go. Diane Zamora wasn't questioned at all. She never even knew AJ. She went to a separate school in a different town. Their paths never crossed and investigators only chatted with Mansfield students. But though they seemed to be in the clear, David and Diane were still terrified. Every second seemed like their last. During the holidays, they clung even harder to one another. If they weren't in school, they were in each other's company. Diane's family sensed something was off as the relationship evolved. The couple seemed eerily caught up in themselves. Even when they were apart, Diane couldn't hold a single conversation without saying David's name. 
One night, when David didn't call after work or come by, Diane fell into a pit of despair. She was so convinced something awful had happened to him that she couldn't even pick up the phone to call him and confirm it. She begged her mom to ring the Grams for her. As it turned out, he was just working late at the Winn-Dixie. David was just as obsessed. He couldn't go a day without visiting his fiance. If he had to work after school, he'd go over to the Zamora's house to spend the night on the couch. The couple hated being out of each other's sight. Each killer feared the other might betray them if they were left alone. Sometimes, David called Diane's home every hour on the hour just to make sure she was okay. Even though the Zamoras thought Diane and David were weirdly obsessed with each other, they didn't suspect anything malicious. Both teens were conscientious, hard workers. They didn't seem capable of violence. For their part, David's parents were completely MIA. His mom had left him with his father and his dad was on autopilot. There was nobody around to question his behavior or notice any disturbing changes. Adrian Jones was dead, but her murderer still got straight A's, still went on dates, still trained for the Air Force and Navy academies. They still got dressed up for prom and enjoyed their high school graduations. In the spring of 1996, David got into the Air Force Academy and Diane was admitted to the Naval Academy. Nobody knew the high school rock stars were murderers. They both seemed on track to achieve their lifelong dreams, but AJ's parents had lost their little girl. Mr. and Mrs. Jones were devastated, and the rest of the students at Mansfield High grappled with fear and grief, wondering if they'd ever feel safe again. Detectives roamed the halls, but AJ's murderers remained at large. Eventually, after hundreds of interviews, the detectives put AJ's case on the back burner. The high school lovebirds had gotten away with it, with everything. Diane and David planned to go off to their respective colleges, join the military, get married, and live happily ever after. But not everyone could keep a secret. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of Diane Zamora and David Graham's story. We'll see how Diane spills her secret only to bring the whole investigation crashing down. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, Sound designed by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by John Levinson, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milligan, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Hi. I'm Shelby Scott, host of Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast. You can join me Wednesdays as I dive into the world of spiritualism and the women that defined it. 
We'll explore everything from obvious con artists to 150-year-old mysteries. It'll be a fascinating journey, so be sure to follow my new podcast, Mediums, free and only on Spotify.